Participants at the CTV Ad Brand Suitability Summit this week were bullish on the future of connected TV, but they also see challenges with ad transparency, frequency management, and measurement. Listen on to find out more. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and excuse me, Colin Dixon is with me from Endscreen Media. Hey, Colin. Hey, Will. I am getting myself all worked up for the start of the World Cup on Sunday, and I have a big decision to make because next Friday is group play game between England and the USA. And uh, I don't know who to support, <laughs> so <laughs> it's going to be an exciting game. I'm really looking forward to it. And actually, I'm expecting that game to be one of the top stream games in the US during the tournament. So it uh, should be really interesting to see how that performs. Well, as a soccer fan, I know you'll be having a great time. As listeners probably know, I am not a soccer fan, so much of this is lost on me, but I am feeling, we're recording here Thursday afternoon, I'm feeling good about things because this afternoon we had, Video News had its Connected TV Advertising Brand Suitability Summit, and you moderated a session, and we are going to spend some time debriefing the conference, key takeaways that both of us had. Uh, but first, we're going to get started with, I think, four news items this week, right? We are, yes, because uh, a lot has been happening apart from your conference, Will. So why don't you kick us off? What was, what's your first story? I will kick us off. And on my radar this week was that Hulu Plus Live TV has added another 14 channels to its TV lineup. Um, that included Hallmark Channel, Weather Channel, Comedy. Noteworthy were a half a dozen fast channels from... Vivo, which has been aggressively rolling out its fast channels across a bunch of different distributors. And um, Hulu Plus is now up to 85 channels and is, um, I think, you know, covering a wide gamut of what uh, viewers would be interested in. So I think this strengthens the lineup. And again, for Vivo, it's um, another, I think, step forward in terms of distributing their valuable content. Yeah, I do too, Will. And this uh, obviously comes on the back of quite a good quarter for Hulu plus live TV. It lost a couple of, it lost a few subscribers in the first and second quarter. In the third quarter, it added them all back. It gained 400,000 subscribers in that quarter to bring it to 4.4 million, which is a pretty decent total. But I tell you what, I did notice that but I think maybe they're adding those channels in, Will, to mollify subscribers that are subscribed to their two upper tier packages because those are both going up in price. The lower of the upper tier price, uh, upper tier packages, which is the uh, one with uh, ad free Disney Plus. Uh, they well, they're both going to have to pay five dollars more. So, so you know, maybe it's to mollify that. Uh, but I tell you, this is an interesting trend of virtual MVPDs leveraging fast linear channels to sort of pad their guides out with more channels. Fubo TV is doing this as well. It's adding fast channels to to increase the number of uh, the amount of content that's available within its service. 
These are non-exclusive, so these channels are available for free in other places, but uh, it's an interesting strategy. Fair enough. Well, let's go on to the second um, story, this new story this week, huh? I am certainly happy to, to talk about scripts because talking of fast channels, EW Scripts has been really investing pretty heavily in those this year. And they actually reported the earnings earlier this week, and they're actually doing pretty darn well. They say that CTV revenue grew 57% year over year, and that they're expecting uh, to achieve an annual run rate of about $100 million in CTV revenue by next year. And this really is being led by their fast linear channels, Scripps, has been launching their over-the-air brands Ion, Grit, and Bounce. They've been launching those in the digital domain with fast linear channels. And uh, they've done that with Vizio and a couple of of other providers as well. And it really seems to be benefiting them. And, well, I think one of the things that we've talked about on the podcast before is this idea of broadening distribution. And that's exactly what Scripps pointed to here. Adam Simpson, who's Scripps president and CEO, he said, Scripps' impressive 10% revenue revenue growth in the third quarter was fueled in part by the company's multi-platform distribution strategy to ensure viewers can ha- can find our high-quality programming content anywhere they watch TV. And this really seems to be a winning strategy for them. Uh, so, you know, one of the interesting things, though, about this, Will, is it sort of flies in the face of what we're hearing from Warner Brother Discovery, which is complaining about falling ad rates. Uh, Scripps doesn't seem to be seeing that. They seem to be growing their advertising revenue, not not losing their av- advertising revenue. So maybe Discovery needs to broaden its distribution. Yeah, maybe they do. But And obviously, it's great for EW Scripps. And we've seen a handful of media companies uh, reporting that they've uh, they had modest increases in ad revenues in the third quarter, but Warner Brothers Discovery is certainly not alone in reporting some, you know, relatively significant headwinds on the ad front. So, but Warner Brothers Discovery has a lot, lot bigger issues than advertising. That's a, a company with, I think, what forty-eight billion dollars of debt. So, yeah. They have uh, lots of cost-cutting that they need to do in the future. They certainly are, and they've already started on that. But uh, perhaps that's a topic for another day. Now, you you have another topic for us. Yeah, well, we've certainly talked about Netflix and its plan to have subscribers start to drop, well, have Netflix start to drop uh, password sharees and Netflix actually released a feature this week that we were talking about earlier. We were surprised that it's not been possible up until now, but um, the new feature allows uh, Netflix subscribers to remotely log out of devices that they either um, don't want to have signed in or don't recognize or were added a long time ago and they've uh, you know simply aged out of them. And you know this is primarily meant to allow subscribers to start to really participate in the process of slimming down which devices and who is able to access their subscriptions. So they give a little bit more control to the subscribers to be able to do that. And I think that's going to 
start the ball rolling on Sherry's losing access, don't you? I do. I think this is probably the least painful way that Netflix can attack the problem of password sharing, right? Because I think what, what's going to happen is there's a whole bunch of people who are going to see this new feature drop in there and go, wait a minute, who the heck is that? <laughs> Who's using that device? And just shut it down. And so I think there's going to be a bunch of people who get cut off just because they're using an account from somebody uh, either that has completely forgotten that they lent it to them or given it to them or which they obtained nefariously. It actually, it actually reminds me last year I had to change my password because uh, I suddenly discovered that somebody in Morocco was using my account. And the way I discovered it was that uh, I kept coming into Netflix and finding that the subtitles had been turned on in Arabic. You know, if I'd had this feature, I would have gone there immediately and seen, <laughs> seen this, uh, this nefarious device using my account. So yeah, I think this is, this is a good move and probably, as I say, the least painful way of dealing with password sharing. No kidding. I don't think you ever told me that story, Colin. So you think somebody grabbed hold of your password and glommed onto your account? Oh, I have no question about it, Will. Um, I was using at that time fairly insecure password and I've been using it for quite a long time. And I'm pretty certain that this password at some point ended up on the dark web and got sent, sold. Um, this is something that happens a lot. These um, pirates, they, they get hold of addresses that for active accounts and they sell them on the dark web and people can purchase them. They end up purchasing them, I think, through seemingly legitimate sites. Uh, and somebody obviously in Morocco purchased this, my, my logon and was using it. So, you know, pretty interesting. Interestingly enough, I got email from Netflix about two weeks after I discovered this and they told me that somebody in Morocco was using my account, Is This You?, they were a bit slow to the mark. I fixed it before <laughs> before they got to me. But uh, yeah. So anyway, I think this is a good move. Absolutely. So you have um, another news story and then we're going to talk about the debrief the conference a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we talked uh, on the podcast. We had a great conversation with Christopher Harris, who's the publisher of World Soccer, to World Soccer Talk back in June. So if listeners want a refresher, they can just go back and find that podcast, it was the, is the Apple MLS deal the future of pro sports delivery? Well, at that time, we didn't know how much Apple would be charging for the service. And uh, now we do. And I'm on uh, Christopher's website, the World Soccer Talk website. And he says that the price is going to be $14.99 per month. Or you can get an annual subscription offering the offering it for $99 a month. Now, this compares to what it was on ESPN Plus. ESPN Plus was charging $9 a month last season. But the biggest difference here, Will, is that with ESPN Plus's subscription, you could not watch in-market games. But Apple is allowing you to watch all of the games, including in-market games. So that's the biggest difference there. And so I don't know. Uh, I don't know how this will be sit with MLS fans, but uh, I think I was definitely expecting something in this range. I don't know what Apple will charge outside of the US because, of course, this is a worldwide deal that they have with MLS. 
and it's explicitly to help MLS be promoted outside of the US as a as a premier soccer league in the world. I have a suspicion that they may not charge anything, that it may be given away outside of the US or possibly they might charge in Mexico because there's a lot of Mexican uh, fans following players in the MLS league. But uh, anyway, that's how much it's going to cost and uh, we'll have to see how it does with subscribers. Are you going to be a subscriber? So I'm an Apple TV Plus subscriber as well. So actually, I forgot to mention, if you are an Apple TV Plus subscriber, you get a two buck reduction in the cost. So it's not $14.99, it's it's $12.99. So in answer to your question, one of the things Apple said was that they were going to make some games available for free. And there is also a TV deal which will probably make local games also available through pay TV operators through their sports nets probably. So before I decide if I'm going to subscribe, I'm going to see which games I can watch through the VMVPDs that I'm subscribed to. Uh, If I can watch the Earthquakes home games, I will do that rather than pay the money. But if I have to, I guess I'll pay the money and watch it on Apple. You didn't ask me whether I'm going to be a subscriber. Oh, I didn't need to ask you that, Will. (laughs) I think we all know the answer. (laughs) You knew the answer to that question. I do, I do, I do. And I think our listeners do as well. But uh, anyway, let's let's do a little debrief on what happened in the conference. A great conference. I sat in on quite a few of the sessions and you, of course, sat in on all of them. So what are the key takeaways? Yeah, so first of all, this was, uh, we're recording here on, Thursday afternoon, the 17th, this afternoon, Video News had its second annual Connected TV Advertising Brand Suitability Summit. It was virtual, and there were five sessions uh, through the afternoon. We had 24 speakers from a range of different agencies, advertisers, publishers, and um, I was really pleased, really pleased with the conference and how everything turned out. We um, covered a lot of ground, which we'll get into in a minute, but for listeners that aren't familiar with this um, idea of brand suitability, it it basically takes uh, brand safety to the next level, whereas brand safety was all about advertisers wanting to um, not be associated with content that they considered uh, that they were averse to for one reason or another. Brand suitability is a positive spin where um, advertisers actively seek to have adjacency with brand with um, content that aligns with their brand values. So brand suitability has become a big part of the conversation as um, brands seek to be more purposeful with their ad spending, not just from an ROI standpoint, you know, which is obvious and needed uh, during um, difficult economic times, uh, but also just more purposeful so that their brands um, values, their brand values and messages align with those of their target audiences. So um, this has been a big thing in the industry and uh, related to this is the idea of diversity, equity and inclusion, DE&I, which um, also seeks to um, kind of take brand, uh, that, that I should say is also a part of brand suitability, again, in brands uh, wanting to make sure that they're um, being supportive to their audiences, being responsible with their, responsible and inclusive uh, with their ad spending. So um, that's really what the conference is all about, obviously, with Connected TV 
taking up a bigger and bigger share of advertiser spending. These issues are becoming uh, more and more front and center for uh, advertisers and agencies and content publishers for that matter. So anyway, we covered a lot of ground um, during the conference. We'll talk about your session in a moment, but some of my key takeaways are that uh, you know, universally speakers were bullish, continue to be bullish and optimistic about connected TV advertising for all the reasons that you and I have talked about so many times on the podcast. Um, the sheer amount of ad-supported content, streaming content that's now available um, to connect TVs has just pushed that much more audience, that much more viewership, and um, is certainly only going to increase as uh, we have saturation with paid or SVOD types of services. So whether it's FAST or AVOD or you know, any other type of ad-supported programming, um, it's becoming more prevalent. Uh, advertisers are better able to target their audiences um, and just the sheer number and adoption of connected TVs and connected TV devices continues to surge. So uh, across all the speakers, just a lot of optimism about uh, connected TV advertising. Um, although plenty of talk across the panels also about the need for greater transparency. So um, advertisers and agencies wanting to be able to see more precisely where their ads ran. And um, that includes, you know, what programs they ran in, what times, what services. And there are still challenges around that, primarily due to the fragmentation that we see in connected TV and in streaming. And um, that fragmentation leads to another issue, which is frequency and frequency management across different services. And we had a number of different speakers uh, talk about how frequency management has improved a lot within services, but the challenge is trying to manage it across different services. And that sort of leads into a broader question about um, whether there will be or should be a universal uh, identifier for audiences. And um, a couple of, a few of our speakers um, took the point of view that not anytime soon, basically, will there be a unique identifier, uh, but rather there will be several identifiers for a while to come. And so, you know, you can kind of look at that from a couple different perspectives. It can be, you know, kind of a good thing or not a good thing. Um, we're, uh, you know, to the extent that there are multiple identifiers, there's obviously going to be ongoing issues with frequency and targeting and um, ads running, you know, multiple times, waste, etc. cetera. Um, but it also does mean that there's no monopoly on anybody and any one company being able to uh, have the sole identifier in the market. So that's a good thing for market growth. Um, also, I wanted to mention that measurement was another key topic, related topic. Um, we had uh, an entire session devoted to um, identity and measurement in CTV, and uh, that also remains an area of challenge for many in the industry. We had a number of speakers call that out, uh, talked about uh, the value of advanced currencies, uh, but the fact that it's still uh, a messy process, something that has not yet been sorted out. 
Uh, one other thing that I would just mention, and then I'll pause, Colin, we can talk about your session or get into any of these others in more detail, as I mentioned earlier, is the, the role of DEI and brand suitability. And we had a dedicated session on that with, <coughs> excuse me, executives um, from uh, Horizon Media, Publicis, Kellogg, Kellogg's, and Samba TV. And it was really, I thought, a very illuminating session about, as I was mentioning earlier, about how purposeful uh, advertisers and their agencies are becoming about wanting ads, ad campaigns to be more inclusive and representative of the population overall, and um, how that is also feeding into uh, diversity and programming. And so uh, I thought it was you know, very encouraging just from a societal standpoint that um, there's a lot of emphasis behind DE&I and, uh, again, how it relates to brand suitability. Uh, I think that's positive for everybody, and our speakers were, were certainly very passionate about that. And I'll just mention before we segue into talking about your session, that all of the sessions will be available on demand on Video News early next week. Right. And so let's stay with the DEI, Will, because that's one of the questions that I did answer, ask my, my panel. I moderated a panel called How Connected TV is Driving Change in the TV Industry. And I asked them directly about what they were doing with DEI. And I got some very interesting answers, very actually heartwarming answers. Uh, Tamara Alisi, who is the CEO of Media Plus Group, she actually mentioned that they're working for they're working for inclusivity behind the camera. Uh, which I think is is very important. So she said, you know, there's a lot of focus given on the content that's being produced as being inclusive, that they're really focused on making sure that the the content creators, the people behind the camera are, are um, you know, um, it's an inclusive environment. Uh, David Chu, who is, um, he's the EVP and GM at Synodyme Networks. And uh, David was actually on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, I think or three or four weeks ago, we were talking to him about Cineverse and he went straight to the content, Will. And he talked about how there's a lot of diversity and inclusivity in the content on, this, on the Cineverse service. And Boy, is there ever, I defy you not to find something interesting to watch and something that, that, that speaks m more directly to you as an individual on that service. It has a huge variety of content to, to watch there. So he talked about that. And um, Tyler DeNicola, who is the VP of Programmatic Revenue and Partnership at A&E, he talked about how the company has actually launched an entire channel called for unheard voices in the fast linear space, which you've just been talking about. So lots going on, lots going on there. So I just want to go back on uh, one of the earlier panels, which was the second panel of the day, which is exploring identity management and measurement. And there was a really interesting discussion about ad duplication. You mentioned that as one of the themes in uh, at, the, at the conference. And Mary Lois Snowman, she's CEO and founder of Media Struction, she talked about how people were really leaning into the idea of targeting. But then she said, we can do it, 
but should we do it? And what she was speaking about there was if you really do lean into that, there is a high probability with programmatic that you could end up buying two back-to-back ads or three back-to-back ads in a pod for somebody that matches the criteria that you're looking for if you specify too closely. So I thought this was a really interesting take on this problem of ad duplication. It's sort of a recognition that we have this problem and that maybe as an adver- uh, uh, as an advertiser, you should be more careful about how you target and buy to take into account of it. So I just thought that that was a, a very interesting take on that. That's certainly again, adds color to the idea that there is not frequency capping right. um, across different services and that there's fragmentation in terms of how inventory is sold. So a, um, an advertiser can get into that situation, you know, kind of unknowingly. Yeah, yeah. And your comment, Will, about within ecosystems, it can be controlled. It's, it's yeah. easier to control it. And I've had conversations with Steve Reynolds over at Imagine Communications and he's, they've just launched an ad solution and they can completely control uh, the ad frequency equation. But that's only if you stay inside of that ecosystem. And the problem is when you come out of it and you're going to say a, an, an open programmatic platform, an open programmatic buying, you really can't control it. And that's where you run into trouble. So that comment there was, I thought, very, very uh, apropos. So to talk a little bit, just a couple of points from my panel. Uh, my panel, as I say, was how connected TV is driving uh, change in the TV industry. And one of the panelists made the comment that he thought the CTV market was mature. And I, I actually came back to my other panelists and asked them about that. And all of them pretty much agreed that it was mature. But I think what they were, what they were saying uh, was that, yes, it is a solid part now of the viewing diets of consumers, of viewers, and that all the major advertisers and a lot of minor advertisers are there and participating in the ecosystem. I don't think that they were saying that the technology was mature. Far from it. We're, as we said, we've, we've, there are lots of problems that still have to be um, solved. So I thought that was a very interesting point. Um, and I totally, totally agree with that as well. The other thing was that I asked the panel to tell me what they thought would we'd be talking about in 2023 next year in this same conference. And I just wanted to share the comments uh, that the panelists gave because I thought they were very interesting. Uh, Tamara Elisi, uh, that's the CEO of Media Plus Group, she said that she thought that we would see people leaning more into fast opportunities. Totally, totally agree with that. We're seeing that at the tail end. Uh, we just talked about two examples, two or three examples of people leaning into that opportunity, Hulu Live and EW Scripts. And I think we'll see many, many, many more in 2023. So I totally agree with that. David Chu from Synodyme had a really interesting comment. He thought that with the economic uncertainty that we are facing at the moment, and certainly we're beginning to see layoffs in the economy and so I think we're going to see a lot of belt tightening. He seems to think that this is going to lead to a lot more churn. And and he sort of described uh, the, the an increase in the effect of people jumping into a service to watch a specific show and then jumping back out. So 
subscribing maybe for maybe for a month or two and then coming back out and i thought that was a very interesting comment i would just uh, just add I, I think he's i think he's very much right about that and there's been data that's um I can't remember exactly what the source was, but I know I read about data recently uh, that showed how subscribers are churning out of uh, one service or the next once they're finished binge watching the uh, complete series of what they were interested in. So I, I, I concur with David. I think we're going to see more of that next year with Bell Tightening. Yeah, and I think you're probably going to agree with this this comment as well from Tyler De Nicola, who is the uh, at A and E. Um, he was talking about more growth within the programmatic sphere, um, and he said that this would lead to more flexible options for people to spend their budgets. And again, totally agree with that. I think that is expanding. Although there was a very interesting stat that I think I can't remember who it was who who gave this stat. But they talked, I think they said about 70 or 80% of buying was direct at the moment and only about 20 to 30% was programmatic. I, I don't know if you heard that as well, Will, but uh, I thought that was a very interesting stat. Uh, but yeah, definitely much more ex- expansion going on there. And finally, Amit, Amit Chaturverdi, who's the COO of Deep Intent, um, he seemed to think that Netflix will capture several billions of the ad ad budgets, the TV ad budgets that are kicking around out there over the next two or three years. And I don't know if you'll agree with this, Will, but I'm looking at the length of time that Netflix viewers spend with the service. And it is twice or more any other SVOD service at the moment. And... If people who are on the ad plan watch that much from Netflix, boy, they're going to do awfully, awfully well from the advertising. Yeah, I I, I do agree with that. And um, one thing I was mentioning as we were preparing for the podcast is uh, I have been getting bombarded with ads all over the web for Netflix's new six ninety nine ad supported plan. So. They're clearly putting a lot of money behind getting subscribers to that lower price tier, and have I've seen in their ads, you know, messaging about specifically how Netflix is for all, and Netflix is trying to broaden its audience. So, um, yeah, I, I I don't know whether it's going to be billions or what the number is going to be, but I, I do think, as we've talked about many times on the podcast that there's a significant, significant upside for Netflix in, in advertising. Yeah, I do too. And be really interesting to see. That's something for us to look forward to in 2023. Well, we'll hopefully they'll begin to report on how things are going. I suspect they'll hold their cards fairly close to their chest on revenue, uh, unless they, of course, hit it out the park. So <laughs> we, may hear, we may hear something if that is the case. But uh, anyway, I think we're probably just about out of time this week. And we're taking a break next week for Thanksgiving. We are taking a break for Thanksgiving next week. And just a reminder that uh, all of the sessions from today's Video News CTV Advertising Brand Suitability Summit will be available on videonews.com next week. Colin and I have really just um, tapped the uh, tip of the iceberg here in our review today. So lots of great content. Thanks again to uh, all of our speakers and our sponsors, Pixability, Media Ocean, and Deep Intent, along with uh, the agencies that supported the event. So I'm really pleased that uh, it was 
it is now behind me because it's a lot of work. <laughs> me, me too, Willa. And thanks too, to you also, Colin, for moderating. As always, a great session. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It was a lot of fun. And I just want to wish all of our listeners a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you on the other side. Yes, indeed. Happy Thanksgiving, and we will see you all in two weeks. Inside the Stream is a production of InScreen Media and Video News, all rights reserved. <laughs>